Uh, we started last week in a series called Doctrine. And God even showed me today, or uh, this week, how much this message is needed. And I put a, a quote from John Wesley on Facebook. And uh, I talked about, and a matter of fact, if, you're, if you look in your bulletin, you'll have the notes there. And I think the quote's on the back of the insert, and it says, John Wesley says, Show me a worm that can understand a man, and I'll show you a man that can understand the triune God. Many of you might not have heard that term triune, but it's the same word that means the trinity, a triunity. And I had a brother, a fellow believer, who said, what does triune mean? And I said, well, it means uh, uh, God is three persons of the trinity, but one being. And he said, that's impossible. You see, this person was a Christian, but did not understand one of the most core, fundamental doctrines of our Christianity. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is the Trinity. And if you're a new Christian, or maybe you're not even a Christian at all, this, t- this morning is going to blow your mind. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How many fingers am I holding up? Now how many can you see? See, this way it's only one, but there are three persons in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be talking about the characteristics of the Godhead, and most specifically the Father this morning. Next week after that, we're going to be looking at the Son. It's going to be good. You don't want to miss it. And then after that, the Holy Spirit. But I want to start off this morning looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn in your Bibles if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. While you're turning there, I want to recognize a friend. He's been here several times. His name's Toby. Toby, wave at everybody. He's right back over here. Toby's been here several times. I want you to know he drives an hour and a half to come to church service here. So none of y'all have an excuse for missing Sunday school. You see what I mean? <laughs> he, he does, and thank you, Toby, and thank you, Becky, for coming and joining us in worship today. And Toby is uh, literally my best friend from Greensboro, and so I'm, I'm proud to have him as part of our worship service. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter... 13, I'm going to look at one verse, and people say, well, the, the Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Well, you're exactly right. The word Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. Neither is the word rapture, but it's a biblical principle. Right here, the scripture you're going to look at is going to display the biblical principle of the Trinity. It's 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Let me read it one more time if you didn't catch it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What we see mentioned here is three individual entities or three individual persons of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the hardest in the Bible to even wrap your mind around. And it's one of those things like you might not know how your car works, but you just get in and push the gas pedal, right? We might not understand it all today, but just get in the car and let the gas pedal go and God will drive it, all right? The first essence that we have to understand about God is God is a triune God. And there are notes listed in those, and I don't just type those out because I like to make more work for myself. I want it to be beneficial to you. But God is triune. The word trinity means a three 
unity. Now, off the bat, it sounds like that's an oxymoron. That's kind of like if you said, man, how big was that? Uh, no, that doesn't make sense. Or how bad looking was that person? You say, he's pretty ugly. See, that's an oxymoron right there. You can't be pretty and ugly. So a three unity or a tri-unity sounds like an oxymoron. How can three things also be one thing? Whether you know this or not, St. Patrick's Day that we actually celebrate is not just something where people go out and and wear green and you don't get pinched. St. Patrick's Day was founded after a Christian saint whose name was St. Patrick. One of the things he was most famous for was using a three-leaf clover to to show the Trinity. He would hold up a three-leaf clover and he says, Is this one leaf or three? Is it one plant or three? You see, a clover is three leaves, but one plant. Three parts, but one flower. St. Patrick was a pretty smart guy. Next time you're walking through a field and you see a three-leaf clover, just think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one being of God. You say, Pastor, you've already lost me. Let's talk about some other things. God exists in three persons in your notes. This starts out in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, Scripture says, God says, let us create man in our image. Have you ever thought who God was talking about? Our. If God is only one, why wouldn't He say, let me create man in my image? But because God is a three-part entity, He said, let us create man in our image. Because if it was just the Father chilling alone for eternity, there would have been no love or no communion. But see, God... He is perfect, and because He is a perfect entity, for eternity, you had the Father, you had the Son, and you had the love that was between them was the Holy Spirit. You see, what God had for eternity is what He wants for you for eternity. God experienced perfect love for eternity, and He wants you to experience perfect love. I want you to know that God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, who existed before the world even began, had the most perfect relationship, the most perfect friendship you could ever imagine. Some of you have a best friend. Some of you have a spouse that's your best friend. And that person is your companion for life. God the Father, God the Son were companions for eternity. And they had perfect joy forever. And now what God says, God says the perfect joy that I had, I want you to have with me. My, my, my. Can someone get excited about that? God wants you to share in the perfect joy that He's always had. That's what Christianity is about. God inviting you into the fellowship of the Trinity. On the back page of your notes, I normally put a letter there, but I had a picture I wanted to illustrate with. And that picture is a picture of the Trinity. And if you look at that, it shows you that the Father is not the Son, but they are God. The Son is not the Father, but the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, but the Holy Spirit is God. All of them are God, but they're separate entities. Just as John Wesley said, a worm cannot comprehend a man, neither can man comprehend God. Any of you ever play with a Rubik's Cube? I know that was big back in the day. It's, it's kind of got a revival now. There's kids on YouTube that can solve a Rubik's Cube in like 45 seconds. There's one kid that can do two hands, solve two Rubik's Cubes at a time. It just blows my mind. But think about a Rubik's Cube. It has six sides, but it's one cube. 
You see, that starts giving a picture of how God is. Six sides but one cube. God has three persons but one God. Now here's what God is not. God is not three personalities. Do you know people with multiple personality disorder? A lot of times we call them in-laws. But you see... (laughs) But you see, they're nice to your face but different behind your back. Right, that we call them multiple personalities disorder. God does not have multiple personalities. God has multiple persons. And if we can wrap our mind around this, that all three persons of God, all three persons of the Trinity are madly in love with you, that'll radicalize your life. See, God the Father created you. God the Son died for you. God the Holy Spirit is ever present with you. Don't ever say you're lonely. Don't ever say you've got no one rooting for you. Don't ever say you don't have a source of encouragement because we've got three on our side. Throughout history, there have been various attempts at explaining the Trinity which have come up short. One being modalism. You know, some theologians have said, well, God operates in three modes. God operated in the mode of the Son, but now He operates in the mode of the Father. But I want to put a picture to you At Jesus' baptism, here you have the Son being baptized. You have the Father who says, in Him I'm well pleased. And you have the Spirit descending like a dove. You've got all three happening at one time. It can't be three modes because all three were present at one time. So it's not just God took on this shape and then came back in heaven and took on another shape. They are present, ever existing with one another. So I've kind of touched on the Trinity, and it's so complex, you could read literally volumes and volumes of books on the Trinity. But all we have to do is say, okay, God is three. I'm going to believe it. I don't understand it all, but I'm just going to go on with it. But understand, God is three. The next characteristic of God, and specifically we're looking at the Father, is that God is good. A lot of times we say this in church, I'm going to say God is good, you say all the time. God is good, and all the time. Let's try that again. Let's get a little excited about our Father. God is good. And all the time. We need to say that every morning when we wake up before breakfast. We need to say that before lunch. We need to walk around in our workplace saying that. Someone comes up and makes you want to punch somebody. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But a lot of people can't get their head around this concept. They think because of events that have happened in their life. That God is angry at them. Or God is mad at them. I want to tell you something. God already displayed his wrath on a person named Jesus Christ. God's anger and frustration towards sin was already taken out on Jesus. Therefore, that's why it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, you messed up last week and you think God's angry with you. God would have been angry with you if it wasn't for Jesus. We need to thank God for Jesus because God's wrath and frustration was poured out on the cross. But God is good. Now you say, Pastor, what about hurricanes and disease and tornadoes? Let me tell you something. God created a perfect world. Do you know why those things exist? Because man was disobedient. Look at God in the garden. Perfect. You had marriage. You had all the food you could eat. God said, don't eat that one tree. Don't eat that one tree. Well, they do. They ate that one tree. And you know what it did? 
It unlocked the blessing. It broke a blessing and unleashed a curse. And ever since then, this world has been tainted and this world has been fallen and we live in a fallen nature. Why is there disease? It's because sin entered into the world. Why is there pestilence and famine? It's because sin entered into the world. A lot of people will say, why does God allow people, why does God allow evil and suffering? I would say, why does man allow evil and suffering? Because the people that say that, that are trying to object to God's goodness, are actually showing their own badness because we let it happen. People say, well, God allows people to starve all across the world every day. Why do we allow it? Maybe we should start doing something about it. If you're actually concerned about it, go feed some people over in Africa. But really, they're not that concerned. They just want to put an objection to God. A lot of people say, why do bad things happen to good people? A better question I ask is, why do good things happen to bad people? You know, if we think that because you're... uh, Good people don't deserve bad things. Well, then the logic would say that bad people don't deserve good things. But the scripture says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. He is good. The scripture says that He pours rain on the just and the unjust. You know what rain is? It's a sign of blessing. God is good to the people who are bad and to the people who are righteous. His goodness lasts forever. This world is a picture of His goodness. People talk about the bad world we live in. I go outside and I look at the stars and I look at the clouds and I look at the sun. And I say, you know what? There's still God's goodness available. There's still God's goodness evident. Every time I see a little child laugh or a little child smile, I say, that's God's grace to this world. Every time I see a a, a married couple that's been married 50 years, I say, that's God's grace to this world. And I'll see these things and I say, there are pictures of God's goodness available to all of us. We just have to realize it. God's goodness is not dependent on our definition of good. You may think you're a good person. Well, I'm glad God doesn't look like us. (laughs) Most of us think we're good. But we put that definition on ourselves. But Jesus said there's none good but God. And Jesus was good. Jesus was God, so he was asserting his own goodness. God is good. The third characteristic I want to look at this morning is that God is holy, holy, holy. In scriptures, whenever it talks about God's holiness, that the angels never said God is holy. The angels never said God is holy, holy. The angels said God is holy, holy, holy. When it says something in scriptures three times, it means there is nothing more holier than this. Some people may... You know, maybe, maybe heard Rick sing and they say, man, that was good. Maybe that was good, good. But when somebody really likes something, they say, man, that was good, good, good. That's what I feel like when I go to Cracker Barrel. Matter of fact, we got plans after church. <laughs> that was good, good, good. That's what the angel said. God is holy, holy, holy. Nothing in the universe can approach His holiness. There's no other standard that they can put on Him except holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 3 says, They were calling to one another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The first song in the Baptist hymnal, if I'm correct, this is the first song I ever learned on the piano. I believe it is. Page number 2. Holy, holy, holy. That's appropriate for a description of God. But we've got to understand what holiness is. 
A few nights ago, if you were joining us on our series on Sunday night, I encourage you to do so. I've got a word about the book of Numbers tonight. I'm going to tell you what, I've got a word. But a few weeks ago, we talked about holiness and it means being set apart. And I borrowed a young lady's toothbrush. I borrowed Tiffany Talent's toothbrush. And I said, Tiffany, would you mind if I went home with your toothbrush and cleaned my toilet seat? That sounds pretty nasty, but I want you to know something. A toothbrush to you is holy. It means set apart for a clean purpose. You don't want something used for a clean purpose being used for a dirty purpose. You see, God is set apart, far and be of humanity, far and be of the earth, far and be of the universe. God is set apart and reserved only for clean purposes. God himself, by definition, is a holy person. And because he is so holy, because he is set apart... God's holiness presents a relationship with sin. You say, well, if God loves us, why don't He just let everyone into heaven? I'm going to tell you why. Because God is so holy, He cannot let sin into heaven. You say, isn't that mean of you? Let me ask something. You want to live for eternity with an adulterer? Do you want to live for eternity with a murderer? No. God has to end sin somehow. The answer was Jesus. The death on the cross ended sin. And whenever you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you're saying is you're saying, God, I'm turning from sin. Sin has been wiped away, and that's therefore why no sin will be in heaven, because God removes sin off of your person. God removes sin off of your spirit. And it's God's holiness that pushes Him to send Jesus Christ to redeem us. God's holiness is the cause of His justice. Some people say, well, if God is so good, he'll let anybody into heaven. Really, let me ask you if there's a judge who is good. Will he let a murderer off the hook? If there is a judge that is good, will that judge let a pedophile off the hook? What if that murderer stands before a judge and says, judge, I'm real sorry. Some people say, I'll say, do you know you're going to heaven? They'll say, yes, I've asked God to forgive me. What if you stand before a judge and say, judge, please forgive me. Can I not go to jail now? Try that with your next speeding ticket. Say, Judge, forgive me. But let me tell you something. It's not just God's forgiveness that removes your unrighteousness. It is the blood of Jesus that has to take it away. You see, you can't just tell God I'm sorry and God snaps His fingers. You have to say, I believe in the cross. I believe in Jesus Christ. Many of us can walk around sorry, but unless we understand that the payment for our sin was on the cross of Calvary, there is no payment for our sin. God's holiness sent Jesus to the cross. The fourth characteristic is that God is transcendent. We have to understand who God's nature is. We have to wrap our mind around how powerful and awesome God is. I'm going to tell you why we're worthy of coming to church every morning. It's because He is worthy. Why it's worth your time to come to Sunday school is because it's worth His time to meet us there. You say, well, I don't have time to come to church every Sunday. Well, I wonder if God has time to come out of His way and meet us at church on Sunday. You see, He is worthy of our worship and praise. God is transcendent. The Bible says that He is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born or brought forth from the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Listen, God was doing fine before He ever created this universe and had to put up with us. God was just doing fine with Him, Himself, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and the angels. 
He was before us. He'll be the last thing. He is the Alpha and the Omega. But He's been around forever before even time began. There's something in apologetics. If you ever get into an argument with an atheist, and I hope that we're engaging conversations with non-believers to share the gospel with them. But there's something in apologetics called the first mover. And this is a philosophical thought that everything in the universe had to have a beginning. Everything. But what they say, well, if the universe had to have a beginning, then God had to have a beginning. And I'll tell you how that's wrong. Because the only thing that can create time is someone that is timeless. You see, everything had a beginning when it came to time. But God exists outside the realm of time. So God is eternal, therefore He is the only one powerful enough to create time. He is timeless. Secondly, He is immaterial. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Why is God spirit? God's not sitting up there in heaven with a long beard and, and, and glasses down on his, his nose looking down on people. God is spirit. The scriptures even say that He is light, unapproachable. A lot of people, and this means no disrespect to anybody, a lot of people in churches have, have a picture of Jesus hanging up in their, in their church or maybe up in your house. But let me tell you something. If I came home to my wife one evening and she was looking at a picture of a man that I didn't know anything about, I said, honey, what are you doing? I'm looking at my husband. That ain't me. But you know what? We look at this kind picture of Jesus. But you know what? The scripture says that now God is light unapproachable. In that picture, although that looks good to us, He's not just a man. He's seated on a throne and He is holy, holy, holy and worthy of our worship. And it's nice to look at a kind picture of a person. We'll think that, oh yeah, that Jesus is going to love everybody. But let me tell you, God is so awesome that His judgment will come on the world. His wrath will come. The, Bible's, the, the scriptures tell us. And we can't go around to non-Christians just presenting this image of a nice Jesus. You know those t-shirts that were popular, Jesus is my homeboy? Well, you've got the wrong impression of Jesus. Because he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Master. And if we think Jesus is just your homeboy, you know what? Your homeboy can tell you to follow the commandments. You're like, oh, that's cool. But if your Lord tells you to obey the commandments, now it makes a difference. The only thing that can create matter is one that is immaterial. God is spirit. And lastly this morning, God is love. God is love. Some people talk about God's anger. They say, man, God is, God is just angry at people. That may be true. God is angry at the world for sin. But you know what? God never says, I am angry. He does say, I am love. The scriptures never says God is hate. But they do say God is love. And I want to give you a radical concept this morning that the reason God hates sin is because of His love for righteousness. Why is God angry at murderers? It's because He loves righteousness. It is His love that has to drive out sin. You say, I don't understand. Let me ask you a question. If your child comes home and your child is now... Uh, addicted to heroin, are you just going to love that person and let them get away with it? No, your love is going to cause you to want to eradicate sin out of their life. Amen? 
If your child has come home and they've now spent money wildly and they've now uh, ruined themselves into, into bankruptcy, are you just going to say, well, that's okay. No, you love them and you want to help them. In the same way, God loves you enough that He wants to get sin out of our lives. He doesn't want you to walk around defeated. He doesn't want you to walk around in misery. Because we'll either be slave to a sin or slave to a Lord. You can't be both. And you know what some of us Christians are trying to do? We're trying to walk around professing Jesus as Lord, but we're still acting like the world. There's a book called The Christian Atheist. And the premise of that book is that someone can claim Jesus as Lord, but still live as if He doesn't exist. Oh my gosh. That'll preach right there. If we're going to say He's Lord, we've got to live like He is Lord too. Amen? The Scripture says in 1 John 4, 16 that we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Someone say it this morning. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in love in God and God in Him. You see, it says whoever lives in love lives in God. Maybe you know a Christian that says they go to church but they're angry all the time. Let me tell you what, that's not godliness. They walk around bitter at people and every time you see them at church it looks like they're coming to a funeral service. Did I tell you that story one time? I, I went to a funeral service and, and I got there and they were singing sad songs and everyone looked at, was looking depressed and I realized I was just at the wrong church. It was their normal service time. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference. They were having Bible prayer meeting and I honestly thought I was at the funeral. I'm like, man, if you're happy, tell your face. Let your face know this morning. God created this world because of His love. The reason you are here today is because God loves you. The reason you are here today is because God has a purpose for your life. And you know what? Maybe you've messed up and maybe you've lived 50 years on the wrong tracks. But I wanted you to know that God's love can put you on the right tracks today. We hear testimony after testimony that people lived according to the world. But they said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That was a testimony this morning, Brother Rick. That was a testimony that all of us were on the wrong tracks till Jesus came along. And I don't know if you know this or not. No one here, just because we wear a suit doesn't mean we're trying to look perfect or be all perfect. I'll say the same thing the Apostle Paul said. Chief of sinners right here. But Jesus saved me. That's my testimony. My testimony is not that I've done it right, but I've done it wrong and Jesus saved me. He saved me anyway. God created you because of His love. God allowed Jesus to die because of His love. Some people will say, well, how can a God sacrifice His own Son? I'll tell you why. Because He loves you. It was God's love that was sacrificed at the cross, that sent Jesus to the cross. This morning, if you know anything, I want you to take this away. That the triune God... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are love. Love is the power that flows from them. Love is what everything was brought into existence for. God created Adam and Eve because of love, and He redeemed the world through His Son because of love. Don't you walk away today thinking that God is angry at you or God has is, is, is turned His back on you because I'm telling you who He turned His back on. He turned His back on Jesus on the cross. He turned His back on Jesus so He'll never have to turn His back on me. But somebody today, somebody today, I believe, that that fellowship that the Trinity shared for eternity, you're invited into that fellowship this morning. 
Maybe you've never lived according to the love of God. You've never known the love of God. But I'm going to tell you right now where you're sitting in your pew, the love of God can meet you right there and can pick you up from the miry clay and set your foot upon a rock this morning. Stop walking around defeated by the world, but start walking around in victory. I'm going to ask Brother Rick to come to the piano. We're going to have a time of invitation. Here's the invitation this morning. The invitation is this. Is that the fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all desire you to be in the family of God this morning. Just as that brother sang a song earlier, I'm a sinner saved by grace, you can sing that this morning. That if you've never known that Jesus Christ died for your sins, I believe you can know it today. We hope that this audio recording has blessed you today, and we invite you to check out www dot concordfriendship dot org to stay up to date with what's happening at our church, the sermons, and what God is doing at Friendship Southern Baptist. God bless.